Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's our theme verse from John 3.3 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar will continue in our series, Church Empowered, with this week's episode titled, Born Again. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. Yeah, good to see you. I see some new faces out there. Where are you going, man? Yep, there we go. We're, he's in training. We have an intern here that we're... <laughs> He's, he's, he's trying to get it all together. We return to our day. Good to see you right there, Bobby. Um, our survey of Acts entitled Church Empowered. But you know the way for a church to be empowered is that the church's people have to be empowered. So are all of us empowered? Then the church should show that. The title to today's message is Born Again. The theme that I've chosen is from John chapter 3, a passage that I'm sure you're popular with, a conversation between Nicodemus, a confused man, and, and Jesus. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That doesn't just mean after you die, that means you can't see it now and you won't see it then after you die. So this morning we'll focus on Saul's conversion and we'll examine our own. Saul, who you're familiar with, was Jewish by birth, Roman by citizenship, with a Greek education. He was born in Tarsus in the Roman province of Sicilia, which today is Turkey. He was a Pharisee. Remember, I've taught you that the Pharisees were very serious about the Scriptures. They believed in life after death. They believed in spiritual life. Uh, they believed that God was in control. Sadducees were much more liberal in their approach to the Scripture. Pharisees were much more, we use the word conservative because they believed what the Scripture said as truth much more than the Sadducees. So he was a Pharisee, studied the Old Testament Scriptures, may have memorized the Torah, the first five books, but also studied the, the writings and the prophets as well under Gamaliel, who was the most respected rabbi of the time. Now, Saul made his first appearance, and we heard about this a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 8, when he served as a witness against Stephen. Now, he later served to watch the cloaks or the coats of the other witnesses. We don't know if it's because he was over them or he was under them. It may have been a a better job or a worse job. But anyway, he was in charge of all the outer clothing of the other witnesses because they had to throw the first stones. So he watched their heavy outer garments so they could be free to sling stones. And the scripture says that Saul agreed with the stoning of Stephen. So we learn a little bit about his nature. After Stephen's death, widespread persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And apparently, Saul had a leadership position in that, according to Acts 8 again. Now, remember, the Hellenistic Jews, who were Jews living in Greek lands, who had been influenced by Greek culture, they had all come to Jerusalem for the festivals. For Pentecost and for um, and because of that, they many of them were born again and believed and became believers, and they had stayed for a period following Pentecost. And then the attacks, the persecution broke out, and so they 
fled Jerusalem, I guess returning back to home or returning to go somewhere to hide. But Saul was in hot pursuit. We began in Acts chapter 9, again, understanding a bit about this man Saul. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Not a very nice guy. Sounds like, sounds like a guy in a horror movie, doesn't it? So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, in Syria, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any of the followers of the way he found there. See, this, this group, this sect, S-E-C-T, was referred to as the way. Now, that title was the first title given to who, the group that we later call Christians, which is us. But because Jesus referred to himself as the way, the truth, and the life from John 14, his followers went under that title. Now, we don't know if they called themselves that way or others called, him, called them that. But that's an early name for believers or Christians the, was the way. And he wanted to bring them back. Again, both men and women. So you see extra cruelty because you didn't find women um, punished cruelly like this generally. Back to Jerusalem in chains. So he, and he knew if he took them back to Jerusalem, they would be tried and perhaps they would be stoned as well. So Saul was a murderer and he was, was furious. And can you imagine running from him, fleeing from him, hiding from him as he's bearing down on this group of very early Christians. But something happened to Saul on the road to Damascus that changed his life. And it's happened to many of us as well. We're going to look at elements of new birth from this scripture. And as we do, as we examine it in Saul's life, we want to compare it with our lives as well. The first element is an encounter with Jesus Christ. Verse 3. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission. Acts 22 and Acts 26 tell this same story. And so we know from Acts 22 that this was at noon, about midday. A light from heaven. And again, we see in Acts 26, it says, brighter than the sun. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. We know from the others that he had companions with him. He fell to the ground, as did they, and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Acts 26 adds this statement it's useless to fight against my will. That's not a good literal translation. A better literal translation, some of you may know the next statement. Anybody know it? Why do you kick against the pricks? Why do you kick against the goads? And what that is refers to is a stick that you would use to drive an animal. And so what he's essentially saying is you're only hurting yourself fighting against me as I'm pushing you in this direction. Jesus confronted Saul and accused him of committing violence against him. Notice he didn't say, you've persecuted my followers. You see, it, it was because of Christ that the followers were mistreated and treated so violently. It was their faith in Jesus that caused them to be persecuted. As Jesus said in John 15, if they persecute me, they'll persecute you as well. But the interesting thing that we want, I want you to see is Saul is going down this road. He's got a purpose. He's got a, a violent plan. And did Saul suddenly cry out to God? No. God initiated contact with Saul. God's spirit always initiates contact. 
though not always so dramatically. So Saul cries out here, Who are you, Lord? Saul asks. The use of the word Lord means he recognizes he's talking to someone higher, perhaps even God, but certainly a deity that was above him. Now understand this. Saul knew the Christian gospel, didn't he? He knew what Stephen and Philip and the other apostles were preaching. He knew they were saying that Jesus is the Messiah. And he knew that that message was confirmed how? With healing, with the casting out of demons, with supernatural power. Saul had also been standing nearby when he saw Stephen die. Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God for him. He heard Jesus asking God to forgive these very people that were killing him. So Saul had observed and seen and heard a lot of things he could not explain. But all these things he had seen just made him angrier. He couldn't understand these people. He couldn't threaten them into denying their faith. He couldn't force them to stop speaking. He had no way to explain their supernatural feats. And so since he couldn't understand it, what did he do? He attacked. You ever been attacked by anyone? With no real purpose except they didn't agree with you. And they couldn't force you to agree with them. So they attack. We see it somewhat in our culture today, attack of Christians, because, because they won't change their, their moral positions. Even if, even if we're not aggressive with them, the mere fact that we hold them and some find them so offensive, rather than ignoring us, they attack. And one form of attack is shut you down, silence you, quiet you. They kept trying to tell these apostles, do not preach. And the apostles said, we can't listen to you. We must listen to God. And that message is still true for us today. We must speak. We don't have to be angry, ugly. We don't attack, violent, never violent, but we speak. But sometimes, like with Paul, just the fact that we believe something different infuriates people in our culture as it infuriated Paul. Saul, who's, only, who's still called Saul at this point, Saul knew God's covenant promises. He knew the redemptive history of Israel. He knew the, the promised Messiah would come and, and would deliver Israel from sin. He knew, at least suspected, that this man talking to him was Jesus. He knew so much about it. He just would not accept it. And that's why God said, why do you keep kicking at the goads? Because God was pressing him. And he had seen so much evidence. And he was being forced. But he was stubbornly rejecting and resisting God. Do you remember being there? You see the evidence, you, you feel the conviction, and you're just mad, and you're resisting, and you're saying all the reasons you disbelieve it, and all the hypocrites that you don't believe in. But inside your mind, you are being reminded of all the people who weren't hypocritical, and were faithful, and were godly. You know what I'm talking about. And there was nowhere to hide. You could ride that motorcycle 100 miles an hour, but you could not get away from it. You ran, though no one chased. Acts 9.5 says, And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. wonder when Saul was born again. You think right here? It appears... 
that the, the light of truth was confirmed. Perhaps right here. It doesn't say he was born again right here, but we see changes happen later. So I think it probably was at this, at this instant that he was born again. And then conversion, those two words are not completely synonymous. Then conversion, change, transformation began. See, we are born again, regenerated. That's a synonymous term. By the Holy Spirit, supernaturally, in an instant. Well, can it be a process? Nope, can't be a process. It's an instant. But you may not recognize it when it happens. But at some instant, our souls go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Even though you may not even understand what's happening. Is that true of anybody? Now, conversion follows regeneration. And, and conversion, see, is like you have a new awareness and you are convicted of sin. You turn from sin. You turn toward God. That's what repentance means, a change of direction. Turn from sin, turn toward God. You do exercise faith. You believe for salvation. And that's when you have become a new person and you're becoming a new person. Now, Jesus immediately gave Saul instruction at Acts 9 at verse 6. Now, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7 says, the men with Saul stood speechless. And they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Luke 22, verse 9 says, They saw the light and they heard, but they didn't understand the voice. Why? Because the words were for Saul alone. And haven't, hasn't God done that? You were standing with other people. And he spoke to only you. There are times in Scripture that he spoke and they heard something like here on the road to Damascus. Also at at, uh, Jesus' baptism. People heard something, but at Jesus' baptism, it sounded like thunder. Here they hear a voice, but they can't make out what the words are saying. Because God's got a particular message just for you. Saul not not only was blinded by this light, he actually saw Jesus in his brilliance. It doesn't tell us that here, but 1 Corinthians 9.1 and 1 Corinthians 15.8 says that he actually saw Jesus. Verse 8 says, Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Now think about what he was like walking down this road. What was his attitude? What was his personality walking down the road? Arrogant. Proud. What would you say? Strong. Angry. Fierce. Full of rage. But instead of walking, marching boldly into Damascus, filled with this pride and this wrath and this power, and I'm going to arrest these believers. And he'd already, he, he contacted the, Sanhed- I mean the um, synagogues, but he sort of was threatening them too. We want you to turn them in. Now, these would have been your friends. They would have been in the synagogue with you, but now they've come to faith in Christ. And so Saul is saying, we want, I want you to rat them out. Imagine the situation. But instead of coming in like that, instead he stumbles into town. He's blind. He's broken by God. You remember ever being broken by God? Anybody? 
and he's led by the hand like a child. Do you? Do you remember when God broke you? I think some people come to faith more gently. I don't think that many do, particularly adults. Do you? Because the whole world flips. The whole world changes. And he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. When was his name changed? When was his name changed, Kim? Did you see it anywhere? It doesn't say it, does it? We, we sort of assume he was given a different name. Scripture doesn't say he was given a different name. It's far more likely that he was Saul to Jewish Christians and Paul to Gentile Christians. And he had both names. Because it wasn't like Abram being changed to Abraham or Simon being changed to Peter. Even though we, a lot of times we think that's what happened. doesn't say it in the text. Now look what God did. He's blind. He's been led into some house. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. What's he feeling? Do you remember when that happened to you? Is he depressed? Is he afraid? Is he just disoriented? Maybe all of those things. And so he's in darkness and hunger to reflect on what's happening, on the transformation of every aspect of his life. And he would need some help to be reoriented into the kingdom of God. Do you remember being born again and the need to be reoriented? I do. I mean, my mother was a Christian. So I always went to church. I knew the good news. I knew a lot about the Bible. I knew a lot. But it was never me. It was just information I had. And so I wasn't the worst guy, but I certainly wasn't the best. I just lived by my own opinions, my own plans, my own ambitions. That's what drove my life. And God spoke to me. And what I felt, I really was, a, was fearful of God because I knew I had been living my life totally independent from God. I just counted on getting into heaven, but I didn't really want him messing with what I was going to do on earth. The truth is I wasn't headed for heaven, but I didn't know that. In fact, what I thought was I'm, I'm undone. And it was like, I remember where I was standing in the hall. It was like a lightning bolt. I didn't see light. But in a sense, I suddenly saw myself completely different. I thought I was a you know, good guy. I mean, I'm headed to law school. I got a full scholarship to law school, for goodness sakes. I've graduated with honors. I mean, you know, the world is, is I've got it on a string. And then suddenly... My eyes were opened, and the whole world looked different, and I was different. And I saw my sin. I saw my self-centeredness. I saw my lack of concern for anything about God. And I don't think I'm Paul, but it's interesting how much of this did apply to me. I, I stayed in my apartment. I, I would have said I was depressed, but I don't know if I was depressed or just disoriented. I didn't go to class for several days. Um, I didn't socialize with anybody, hardly ate. Because it was like my whole life just got completely stirred up. Another element of new birth is encouragement from Christians. Here, while Saul waited, blinded, not eating not drinking 
I mean, it's pouring into him now. Can you imagine? Jesus has spoken to him. He's been killing Christians. So some of it may have been depression, regret, new, new perspective on life. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Everything is different. And with that awareness comes some regret a lot of times. So while Saul waited, blinded, not eating, not drinking, thinking deeply, deeply about what had occurred, God was preparing another person to help him. At verse 10, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. Now imagine you're Ananias and you've just heard this. Now you heard it from God. But Lord exclaimed Ananias. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he authorized the leading, he was authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So what's Ananias thinking? He'll kill me. Now think about that. Okay. You say, well, God's just told him he's praying and God's saying, God's giving him a vision to, to go do this. And he's going, well, wait, no, I don't want any part of that. I got a friend next door. He's the one you ought to be sending there. And you say, but nobody would say that to God. Y'all say it to God all the time. God tells you to do something and you find 14 excuses why you can't, shouldn't, not qualified, afraid, no time. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. Now, if you're Ananias, how would you like hearing that? So we think, oh, that sounds wonderful. That doesn't sound wonderful at all. He killed Stephen. No telling whom else he's killed. No telling whom else he's already put in jail. But see, God calls people to pastoral ministry, to evangelistic ministry. Now, he's called every one of us to service and ministry and sharing the good news. But he selects people for certain tasks, and it's his choice not ours. And I will show him, and then you see this, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I don't know what kind of man Ananias was, but he might have felt better hearing that. Well, you would, wouldn't you, Michael? So Ananias went and found Saul. He's laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he received his sight. And then he got up and was baptized. And afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Now, couldn't God have just restored Saul's sight? I mean, did Ananias do it anyway? Well, why did he use Ananias? Come on, why? Because God uses people. 
Has God used anybody in your life to give you sight? Explaining the scriptures, orienting you to faith. It's the same thing. See, Saul lost sight because you know why? Because his, his physical gifts had not served him well. And so he needed spiritual insight. And Ananias was the instrument who enabled him to see. Not just see physically, that's the least of it. But to see spiritually. Because suddenly the whole world has changed for this man. Do you remember that? I don't think you can be born again without your world being reoriented. Do you? It's not a small thing. You no longer live in the kingdom of this world. You live in the kingdom of God. You merely reside here temporarily. So Saul was baptized. His baptism openly united him with the very people he hated and persecuted. You know, sometimes people will say, well, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I thought I was. I don't know if I am or not. I don't remember a time. You don't have to remember a time. Even though it occurred in a second in time, you don't have to be able to point to that. I always say, look at yourself right now. Here's here's three questions to start with. Do you love God? Do you love his word? Do you love his people? Because if you've been given the Spirit of God, if you've been regenerated, born again, those three will be true. You'll love God. You'll love His Word. You'll love His people. That's what 1 John says. And we need relationships with other believers. To provide us instruction, to offer encouragement, to, to, to give comfort, assistance, sometimes confrontation. So that we can know how to live for God. See, we live for God as a community. Are you involved in spiritual relationships with other Christians. That's one of the ways we demonstrate we know Christ. Do you remember when you were first born again and you fit in nowhere? When I was born again, I no longer fit in with all my roommates, my friends, all the fraternity brothers. I tried to go to the Christian meeting on campus. I didn't fit in there either. Because they're looking at me like, what are you doing in here? (laughs) But I no longer could fit in with my old friends. I ended up not even going home that summer. I lived in the um, college town. And just really was lonely all the time. But it was like a time where I was alone. I was like in the darkness And I was learning what it was to know God. My old fraternity brothers would show up now and then and they'd say, why don't you go out with us tonight? There was this place called The Flame. Come on, we're going to The Flame, man. I thought, I've been too close to flames. I'm not going there. (laughs) And so they'd be there. They would, it would be Friday afternoon. They would have already been drinking for a while. And one of them decided it was going to be smart and he was going to pour beer on my chicken that I was grilling. You're not any fun anymore. They had a nickname for me that I won't repeat, but you're not any fun anymore. Quit, I said, quit, Joel, quit, quit pouring beer on my chicken. You're not any fun anymore. You don't love us anymore. I said, stop, don't pour it one more time. Don't do it one more time. 
He kept doing it. And so I, I treated him as a Christian would. I decked him. <laughs> and he was laying out on the grass. And then he, I mean, he was about drunk. He started crying because I punched him. And he started to get up and I wouldn't let him get up. I said, don't you dare get up. I'm going to kick you right in the head. Now you crawl out of my yard. And I made him crawl out of my yard. That's very, that's evangelism, isn't it? I didn't get saved sweet. I'm sorry to tell y'all. I did not. I mean, only now am I becoming sweet. I did not get saved sweet. A third element of new birth. You know, it took those guys years. They still for years thought I would come back. For years, they thought I would come back. If I went out with them anywhere, they always wanted to buy the liquor, buy the beer. They never offered to do that before. It bothered them so badly that I could have been right in the middle of them, leading the pack, and now I'm completely different. It unsettled them. Some of them never got over it. A third element of new birth is engagement in God's service. And we begin at verse 19. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. We, we see in Galatians three days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the son of God. See, he, he's learning to live as a Christ follower, but he, he starts preaching. But imagine, even in the church, there probably was some resentment about this, don't you think? And they're wondering, is he setting us up? Is he going to arrest us? I mean, I don't know how long it took them to not be suspicious of him. Well, how long does it take you to not be suspicious of somebody when they change? Same thing. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among, among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked, and didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? See, Saul has shocked the Christians when he was converted, but they're, they're scared of him. But he's also stunned the Jews because they expected him to imprison these Christians. And now he sounds like one of them. So he's got no one. Do you remember being at that place? You didn't fit in either place. I remember that very well. And he's preaching in the same synagogues where he had planned to make a rest. Like Stephen, he debated the Jews about the deity and the Messiahship of Jesus, beginning at verse 22. And Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Remember how studied he was. He was, he was very bright. He knew the scripture. He was a wonderful student. And so they can't argue with him. And now that he knows Jesus... All the scripture suddenly fits together. You remember, you, you maybe were taken to church as a child. Maybe you grew up Jewish. We have some Jewish folks in our church. We have some, a couple of Muslim folks in our church in the past. And so you knew a lot of things, but they didn't, they didn't fit together, did they? Until you knew Christ, boom, 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 boom. And it all fits together. But since these Jews couldn't defeat him, they decided to silence him. Well, we see that in the culture today, don't we? If someone, if you don't agree with someone, rather than dialoguing with you, they just want to shut you down completely. And that's what was going on here. And after a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him 
They were watching for him day and night at the city gate. It was a walled city so that they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. See, in these walled cities, there are, there are houses, buildings built against the wall so that they're part of the wall. And so a window from the house would actually go through the wall. And so that's likely what happened here. And so they saved Saul's life. And they risked their lives in protecting this man that they're, they're at least starting to believe God has called, even though they are very skeptical and even a bit afraid. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers. Now, this was three years later. But they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas, remember the son of encouragement, that was just his nickname, brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So here was one in the group. And, and he, it's interesting that he was a kind man because he's called the son of encouragement. He's the one who took this frightening man and brought him into the group. I wonder who among us takes the hand of the outsider that tries to come in to church. Do you remember it? And you knew you did not fit. And yet, there were people, more than one, that brought you in. Are we like that? Do we find the one that's outside? Maybe they're outside because of their own immorality. Maybe it's their anger. Maybe it's their faith, their lack of the faith, something they've done, something they've said. Are we the one that will reach out the hand and say, here, come with me? And then we defend that person against other Christians so they can give them a chance. You remember when you needed a chance? So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him too. See, he had, he had gone from being their ally to being their enemy. And whereas before they loved him, now they want to murder him and shut him up. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. So they put him on a ship. They're trying to save his life. And he left for several years. The scripture in Galatians says that he went down into Arabia and he studied for at least three years. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Live in the fear of the Lord. Were they literally afraid he was going to kill them, punish them? It's not what it means. What it means is that you know who God is. And because of that, you are filled with an awe, with a reverence, with a respect. Yes, with a love. But folks, we Americans have domesticated God and turned him into this old toothless grandfather rocking in a chair. And that is not who he is. He is fierce, even frightening. Hebrews says what a dreadful thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. Because that's who the person of God is. But he's brought us into his family. He didn't become weak and domesticated. He's still just as, just as awe-inspiring as he ever was. And he chose you and said, you come in. You belong to me. And you too. He's not less fierce. He just decided to love you. Now, what would happen to us if we all understood that God? I don't think we would play around with sin, would we? If we understood the awe of God, but also we felt the appreciation of such a fierce, 
holy God who has chosen to love us with kindness and mercy. But I think we would live more holy. I think we would stand out more in this community. I think we would be the kind of people that others could not explain. They can't understand why we won't lie, cheat, steal, get angry, follow the crowd. They can't understand it. And that's the way we have an impact. Not fitting in. Standing firm. Not picking a fight. Humbly, gently declaring truth, verbally and with our lives. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, who would help them, help them and would help us, it also grew in numbers. If you are born again, you've been made brand new. You are not the same. You have a new heart. And with that heart, just like, just like Christ gave him a new spiritual life, he said, now get up and go into town. I've got an assignment for you. Jesus saves no one that he doesn't send. Did you hear that? Jesus saves no one that he doesn't have an assignment for. Have you been saved? What's your assignment? What purposes are you pursuing to serve God? Because that's part of the calling. You know, here in our church, I'm so delighted to see more and more of your faces here. But we need to step in and really reform our church. There are children that can't go to class yet because we don't have enough volunteers. Some are kind of easing in too gradually. We need you to take a step, even if it's on a rotating basis, so that we can bring all the children back in and, and teach them. Don't you want them instructed so they don't end up where you were when God found you? So I need you to volunteer. Brookwoodchurch.org slash kids. Even if it's once a month, we need to redevelop our church. We need to give. If you're not giving, I'm asking, if you're part of this body, I'm asking you to give. Otherwise, downstream, we're going to be having to make some painful cuts. But if all of us give something, we won't have to do that. We're trying to develop new ministries, particularly this free medical clinic. But we won't be able to do it unless we all give. We all give. If you're part of this church, what's your part? You say, well, I'm unemployed. Well, then you ask God what you should give. I'm not sure that unemployment means give nothing. But ask God what you should give. Because we give by faith, not by plenty in the checkbook. You see what I'm saying? Care volunteers will be here. Come on up here, care volunteers. If you want to talk to somebody, if I confused you about what this being born again is, what conversion means, they will talk to you. They will pray with you. They'll have oil to anoint you for healing. Here comes Mark. You got them all by yourself, Mark? <laughs> He'll either touch you or not touch you. He'll get close to you or stay back. It's whatever you want. It's whichever way you want. But they're here to, to, for, for whatever your need is. Just to pray with you, to talk with you, to anoint you with oil, anything, anything that you'd have. And as I said, you know, you can give as you leave today. The kiosks are open. You know, I encourage you to consider setting up drafts for your convenience. But just ask God what you should give. Spiritual practice this week, that we begin this week, but we continue. Reflect on the ways that God has made your life different. You might have not had exactly a road to Damascus, but you had a road to Damascus experience. What happened in that instance? And what's followed? What are you like now? Doesn't mean you're perfect. There may be some areas you're asking God to continue to work in. But you're not the same. You are different. Because the Spirit of God spoke to you. On some road. Memory, work, memory verse this week. I urge you to that. And let me urge you. Join with some others. 
Develop relationship. Study the Bible together, but study living in the kingdom together as well. Father, we thank you for this word. Help us to understand it. See how it applies to each of us. Lord, I pray if there's someone who has never experienced you on that road to Damascus, I pray that you would speak to them even now. And Lord, if some of us that have been born again, but we've seemed to have lost our fire, I pray that you would rekindle us by filling us with your spirit. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for coming. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is Titus 3, verse 5. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's spiritual practice. What are ways your life is different because of Jesus? And what are ways you still need God to work in your life? Spend time thanking God for his work in your life and ask him for more transformation that reveals more of who he is to the people around you. Share what you're learning with a friend or in your group. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. Thanks for listening and have a great week.